And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, August the 30th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today, on August 30th, 1967, the Senate confirmed the appointment of Thurgood Marshall. He was the first black justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. Today, in 1861, Union General John C. Fremont, he instituted martial law in Missouri, and he declared slaves there to be free. However, Fremont's emancipation order was countermanded by President Abraham Lincoln. He said, no, that's going to be, emancipation is going to be a federal manner, not a state matter. Today in 1945, U.S. General Douglas MacArthur, he arrived in Japan to set up Allied Occupation Headquarters. Today in 1963, hotline communication was installed between Moscow and the United States, Washington, D.C. Today in 1992, the television series Northern Exposure won six Emmy Awards, including Best Drama on TV series. That was filmed, you may remember, that was filmed in Roslyn, Washington, just uh, east of Seattle a while over the over the mountain and to the left, if you're traveling east, a uh, little town set back in obscurity, really, until the the TV crew came to town, and and uh, they were there all those years, I guess, uh, most of the time at least, filming that that TV series. It was supposedly it was a I think I think the storyline was a there was a New York doctor who had set up a practice in this rural little town that was actually Roslyn, but. On the TV show, it was like Sicily or something, Alaska, I think. Anyway, uh, that happened today in 1992. They got a whole bunch of Emmy Awards. Today in 1997, Americans received word of the car crash in Paris that claimed the lives of Princess Diana, her boyfriend, intimate boyfriend, we were told, Dowdy Fayad, and their driver, Henri Paul. Because of the time difference, though, it was actually August 31st when the crash occurred, but it was August 30th here. So it happened tomorrow on their time, but today, our time. Today in 2005, a day after Hurricane Katrina hit, floods were covering 80% of New Orleans, looting, Continued to spread. Rescuers were in helicopters, boats, picking up hundreds of stranded people. Interestingly enough, that was actually in 2005 yesterday, when on a a Sunday, I don't know what day of the the week it was in 2005, but yesterday in 2005, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, yesterday in 2021, Ida, hit New Orleans. In fact, this morning, all of New Orleans is black. It's out of power. There are no lights in New Orleans and the surround New Orleans and the surrounding area. Interesting that both of those huge hurricanes, destructive hurricanes, would hit the same city on the same day, all those years apart. I'm sure it has something to do with climate change, right? Today in 2007, in a serious breach of nuclear security, a B-52 bomber armed with six nuclear warheads 
flew all the way across the country unnoticed. <laughs> That's kind of scary. The Air Force later punished about 70 people that were involved in that unauthorized flight. I don't think they were up to anything wrong. It just happened, but it was unauthorized. Today in 2015, the White House announced that President Barack Obama would change the name of North America's tallest mountain peak from Mount McKinley to Denali to honor the indigenous people. Long time ago, when I was a kid, 20, 25 years ago, <clears throat> we called them Eskimos, but that was would not be probably improper, would be improper today. But anyway, Barack Obama, always the man looking for hope and change, changed the name of Mount McKinley to Denali. Maybe that was the right thing to do. I don't know. Here's what I do know, though. This is absolute. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. That is a fact. We live in very distressing times today. People are living in unrest, fear, anxiety. I mean, all of those measurements are spiking today in our culture because of all the stuff that's going on. The coronavirus, Kabul, Afghanistan, our southern border, which hasn't been mentioned in days, maybe weeks in the news. People are flowing in there. Now they're flying there from all over the world, flying into Mexico and walking across the border into the United States. They don't care if they get apprehended or not. If they get caught, they just get released. And they're just coming into the United States. Many of them, I will admit and, and say that I think we would know this. Many of them are looking for a better life. And America defines the better life on this planet. There is no greater country than America, but it is under attack. It is in decline culturally today, certainly politically. And people, people need rest. And they need a respite from that. We all do. That's why we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3 and 9. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. We have something the world does not have. In addition to eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, we have a peace, a rest in Almighty God. The bombs are flying and exploding and the terrorists are taking over and we have a president who can hardly function, but we can be at rest because Almighty God is in control and he's working things together for his purposes and we get to see it happen and we're called to participate in what it is that God is doing even when we don't fully understand the why of so much in our culture. Let me give you a quick rundown of some things that happened over the weekend. Saturday night U.S. citizens were told to leave the Kabul or Kabul, as some people are pronouncing it, airport, due to a credible threat there. That was Saturday night. Sunday morning, uh, 
Fox and other news services were carried uh, the story that the U.S. carried out a airstrike against an ISIS suicide bomber that threatened the, the airport. So the the our officials were right. There was a credible threat. U.S. military conducted an airstrike against a vehicle carrying at least one suicide bomber who intended to target the international airport on Sunday morning yesterday. Michael Holmes at CNN said nine members of one family were killed in the U.S. drone strike. Associated Press is reporting that a U.S. drone strike blew up a vehicle carrying multiple suicide bombers. Don't know if that's the same one with a different report or if it's two different uh, casualties. They're kind of sorting that out this morning, the news. They'll have it all worked out today. They'll have their storyline. But anyway, that's what they're reporting. There's a little bit of confusion there. But uh, this U.S. drone strike blew up a vehicle carrying multiple suicide bombers, Associated Press says. And they were associated with Afghans, Afghans um, Islamic State. Uh, that was Sunday morning, yesterday morning. Monday morning, this morning, today, the New York Post first reported that rockets fired at the Kabul airport were reportedly intercepted by anti-missile system. So rockets were fired at the airport this morning, Kabul, trying to kill all of our people who are there, the Americans that are there trying to get out, although they've been told to stay home, uh, and all of the Afghans. I mean, there's hundreds, thousands of them around the airport. So these rockets were intended to blow all that up, and our defense system um, attacked the rockets and blew them up. So... Uh, the New York Post says rockets were fired toward Kabul airport on Monday morning and were reportedly intercepted by a U.S. missile system. Well, the White House has confirmed that that did indeed happen this morning and the bombs were blown up and, you know, disintegrated before they could do what they were intended to do. But there is a story that is out there. It's just kind of emerging today. And I, I it's worth mentioning. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I, I just wanted to mention to you, there's a story that seems to be uh, accurate that is saying that the head of the Taliban's political wing presented a an option to the U.S. regarding Kabul, the city, and the airport. After the president of Afghanistan, remember here a, a while back was, I think it was around the middle, I think it was the 15th of August, if I'm not mistaken, Remember the president, he, he just took off in the middle of the night, which, you know, understood things were collapsing very quickly there. Um, we were responsible. Our president and his decision making was responsible for a great deal of that. I want to talk a little bit more about that today in a in a more of a moral context than a political one. But this Ghani, who is the president, he took off. I don't, I'm not sure. I, I, I heard where he went, but I don't know. I, I can't remember now. But anyway, he took off. He fled the country. He probably went to Qatar or somewhere. But anyway, following that, there was this um, meeting. Senior U.S. military officials met with the Taliban. Abdul Ghani, same name, different guy. Baradar in Doha in Qatar to discuss the fate of the country. The Washington Post is reporting that this morning. I was surprised they would report that. It isn't favorable to the administration. But Baradar said, we have a problem. And according to the U.S. official that spoke to the 
Washington Post on condition of anonymity, said, we have two options to deal with. This is the Taliban speaking to America. You, the U.S. military, take responsibility for securing Kabul, or you allow us to do it. The commander of the U.S. Central Command, according to the Washington Post, this General Kenneth McKenzie, he said, (laughs) supposedly, according to the Washington Post, he communicated to Baradar that the U.S. military's only objection was to uh, or object, objective was to eliminate or evacuate American citizens and Afghan allies out of Kabul, for which the airport was needed. At the meeting, the two parties reportedly reached an agreement the U.S. would control the airport until August 31st, that's tomorrow, uh, the withdrawal deadline, and the Taliban would advance into Kabul and take over the city, and the, and the United States military would let them do that. Mark Thiessen, you may know his name if you watch Fox at all. He's on there quite a bit. He's not really a conservative. If there are any moderates left in this world, and I don't really believe there's such a thing as a moderate, but I suspect he would be one. Sometimes he falls on the conservative side of issues, and sometimes he falls on the very progressive, far-left side of things. But he's a writer for the Washington Post. And as I said, you may have seen him on Fox News. He's on there once in a while. Anyway, Mark Thiessen wrote this morning, he said that the reports of the Taliban offering to stay out of Kabul and let U.S. forces secure the city, he said, is amazing. We told them we not only needed the airport, we could have controlled the airport. They told us that we not only needed the airport, we could have controlled the airport and the city and evacuated everyone, but we chose not to. The incompetence is stunning. And if this is true, indeed it is. I mean, can you imagine? I don't know if the press will continue. I was shocked that the Washington Post would report on that, to be honest with you. But they are this morning. We had the chance. The Taliban was going to give us the opportunity, and that whole context is just really uncomfortable to even talk about. The most powerful nation on earth is sitting at the feet of the Taliban and they're telling us what to do. I don't even know how to respond to that. I don't even know what to say to express how that makes me feel. And I'm sure it makes many of you feel the same way. It's it's insane. I mean, nothing, nothing good can come out of something like that. The world does not run on humility. Humility, we are told and taught by Jesus himself, humility is a virtue. And we as Christians must practice humility. But humility in the rest of the world doesn't mean what humility means in our context. The rest of the world watches for any kind humility or other weakness as they interpret it, and they see that as a chink in the army in the armor and they go for it. And I've said this many times before, but I've spent a lot of time in third world countries, starting churches and building churches and helping the local people there get a church and get outreaches and and like, you know, revival type things, outreaches, evangelistic outreaches in communities and cities and smaller communities. I've been with these people. I, I've, I've known them. I mean, I s- still have some contact with some of them in some of the darkest places on earth and the Christians. I know how they think. Even the, the Christians will tell you. 
that their people in their country, whatever country it is, doesn't matter, but the Middle East is among the, the, the worst for this, but humility to them immediately trans, transmits to weakness, not meekness. And so you, we have to be very careful with that. And so we're seeing this today, I mean, as bowing down, sitting down at the feet, and the Taliban's giving us two options, and we chose the option of least resistance, apparently. I don't know. It's discouraging. But the good news is, I think we can still vote in or out the people that we don't want as leaders if we can get our voter process um, a little improved, a little with a little more integrity. But that's where we are today. It's not not pleasant. And then to top it off, President Biden yesterday, I don't know if you saw this on the news. I mean, it, it showed up in some news reports. President Biden and his wife, they went to this um, to meet this plane that came in with the 13 military members who were killed by this terrorist uh, attack here a few days ago in, in Afghanistan, in Kabul. On Sunday, they arrived yesterday in their flag-draped caskets. And they have uh, what they call a dignified transfer, the military, and that's where they bring in the fallen soldiers or fallen, um, you know, military people, whatever branch they're from. This plane came into Dover Air Force Base. The troops were unloaded, each casket, a very sad cargo from the transport plane. But Biden, during the ceremony, the cameras were right on him. He should have known that. He was standing there as these caskets were ceremoniously and reverently and heroically being transferred from this giant airplane into a, a vehicle that would take them ultimately to their final resting place. The bodies of these men and women that died for our country. He's standing there and he lifts his left arm and he puts his right hand on his wrist where his watch is. He kind of twists his watch so he can see it clearly. And he looks at the time as these caskets are passing in front of the United States of America. What did he have that was more important than that? I don't know. Over the weekend, the political pundits, they're the people who earn a living by talking about other people's political career. They made the case that last week's suicide bombing against U.S. troops in Afghanistan was the worst day of Biden's presidency. Well, it was. But does it occur to the experts that last week was not a particularly good week for us ordinary Americans out here either? I mean, this is tough to go through. The pundits are talking about the worst day of his presidency. It was probably the worst day in America for many of us. What about the 13 military families who received the heartbreaking call from the U.S. military officials? It was the worst day for American forces since August 5, 2011, when the Taliban shot down a Chinook helicopter carrying 31 U.S. service members, the majority of whom are Navy SEALs. At that time, Joe Biden was vice president. We now have a broken leader unable to lead politically or even cognitively, sometimes unable to answer a rare, honest question at a press conference. This morning, he was asked something about Afghanistan, and he said, I'm not supposed to take any questions. I won't answer anything on Afghanistan. Who's telling him what to do? We have a broken leader, unable to lead politically or cognitively. Sometimes sometimes he can't even answer a rare, honest question from the press. Katie Pavlich wrote a piece 
over the weekend. They published it yesterday at Town Hall. She said in early July, Biden stood in front of the country and the world to proclaim it was unlikely the Taliban would take over Afghanistan once the United States left the country. Three weeks before his self-imposed August 31st, that's tomorrow, 2021 exit date, Taliban owned the country. They took over the capital city, was doing security and have been doing security for the U.S. Marines at the airport. I can't tell you how much that bothers me. Maybe it bothers me too much, but it really bothers me. The Taliban, a terrorist organization, is doing the work of our military. Why are we allowing that? Somebody thought it was the lesser of two evils, I guess. But as a result, Katie writes, a suicide bomber was sent to the front line, and that is what happened. The guy came through. They knew who he was. The Taliban knew he was an ISIS guy, and they knew he was loaded with a bomb. They put him right to the front of the line and sent him through. Yeah, you're okay. Yeah, you go ahead. Detonated his vest once he got to where he was supposed to be. Killed 10, in addition to the two Army soldiers and Navy corpsmen. The Taliban, whose leadership our president has submitted to, they don't show any fear in taking over the entire country. Thanks to Biden's weakness, the results have been catastrophic stranding thousands of Americans in Afghanistan to wait their destiny in the hands of these barbarians. No one seems to know how many Afghans who work for us, work for the United States in the country, will be left behind. Probably thousands, maybe tens of thousands. Even the left in America, the so-called progressives, they're admitting that the presidency is broken. It isn't even functioning properly. Whether or not you agree with his policies, it just isn't working. Top U.S. officials are being forced to admit privately and and state publicly that the Taliban is in control. The only thing stopping them from killing more people, including our own troops, is just their obsession to get the U.S. out of the country so they can take over the country and have their own country, which will become a base for sponsoring terrorism. There is consequences to what's going on in our country today, and I think we know that. And that's why we have to keep ourselves close to God and close to his word and stand in his peace and live in his peace, his rest. Because our world is upside down in chaos. The same State Department team in charge of Afghanistan withdrawal, they are also in charge of re-entering this horrible Iran nuclear agreement. It's no coincidence that Hamas, an Iranian-backed and funded terrorist proxy organization in the Gaza Strip launched a vicious rocket attack on Israel, our closest ally in the Middle East, in May. It was a test of consequences, and there were no consequences, so it's, it's, it's all go for these guys. How will Iran and Russia and North Korea and China move to exploit this obvious display of weakness in our most powerful office? I think it's already underway. Pavlich went on in her piece later on. She said when Russian hackers took down a major oil pipeline earlier this year with a cyber attack, Biden rewarded President Vladimir Putin with the completion of Nord Stream 2. That's his pipeline. And control of Europe's energy. And he is in control. He can cut cut it off and it would cripple Europe. She notes that China, which is also ramping up its nuclear arsenal, has yet to be punished for unleashing this Wuhan coronavirus pandemic on the world. And that's true. 
They just pompously said and say, no, we have nothing to do with that. When they had everything to do with it, including Fauci, who was funding through the back door, this ecosystem or whatever they're called, that secondary organization that he was giving millions to, to this gain of function, which I wasn't familiar with until Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, started talking about it. So I did a little research. I mean, they're all guilty and they're all part of this problem we have, but nobody's been held accountable. There's no consequences. The evidence combined with the outrage, outrageous yet typical behavior from the Chinese Communist Party, they're all on, set on go. The withdrawal from Afghanistan is by all accounts a, a catastrophe. It's a miserable failure. It was an attempt to deliver us from evil. And this president is not able to do that. If this magnitude of failure can happen during a withdrawal from a third world country, what faces us in the challenge of national security against powerful regimes and Islamic terrorism? We have the people. We do not have the leadership. Weaknesses prey and the wolves are on the prowl. At least based on the seven months that this, I know it seems like it's been seven years, but it's been seven months since Biden took office. Representative Jeff Van Drew, he's a Republican from New Jersey, gave an exclusive interview over the weekend. I want to just end with this. I've got a couple of minutes left here today. But he lamented the decline of America, and he, he deemed the president either that he's cognitively impaired and or purposefully harming the country. Jeff Van Drew, a Republican uh, representative from New Jersey. Van Drew goes to great length in this uh, article. I didn't intend to get into it, and I wouldn't have time now, but he promised that we'll get through this, he said. He told the interview, Breitbart, he said, there is no country like this country. We must remember who we are and what we represent. We cannot forget that. Well, the cynic would say, Gary, he's a Republican. What would you expect him to say? Well, Yes, he is a Republican, but only recently did he leave his Democrat Party to become a Republican. The cynic would not know the backstory. Van Drew defected from the Democrat Party in 2019 due to its direction. Then he described his personal experience in standing up to the party, and he said he got sick and tired of it. He then told his chief of staff regarding the Democrat Party, who later told the press, he said, I do not believe in what we're doing. I do not believe the Democrat Party he was talking about. I do not believe in the way we're changing our education system, the way we don't have a supply chain, the way we're dropping our position and energy. I want American greatness. He said, I'm proud of what I did. From what we know from history, this guy is the only congressional member to ever go from a majority party to a minority party. People have flipped their political designation, but never from the majority party to the minority party. That's how deeply he felt about changing things. I hope you and I can feel that sense as well. Pray for America. We're going through some tough times right now. We have no leadership. It's void, but God is with us. We'll continue this conversation right here tomorrow.